Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. In our day, it's increasingly more important to qualify things that you say because words have taken on an abundance of different meanings. Uh, So we're going to go through some distinctives of what it means. This will be an overview, will not be a deep dive, of what it means when you see Baptist on a church sign. Many churches today are getting away from putting any type of denomination. It'll just be journey or it'll just be catalyst or it'll just be something of that effect because they don't really teach anything. (laughs) And they really don't want to be identified as a church. They just want to be identified as a place for people to come and have some social fun. And the first thing we're going to look at is the Bible being the final authority. When you see Baptist in the name, that is one of the things that should be an overlying given. The Bible is the final authority. That means nothing is going to overrule the Bible. Nobody's going to vote it out. Nobody's going to get together and create a convention that makes decisions for other churches to follow. Because then the convention is the authority, not the Bible. And if we're going to throw something out, let's throw the convention out. Let's throw the assembly out. Let's throw the whatever it is that man created to try to get rid of the authority that God gave us. Go to Psalms chapter number 12, if you would. People don't like authority and they don't want authority. And that's why they hate this book. Psalms chapter number 12, verse number six. The Bible says the words of the Lord are pure words. That means when I say something, it isn't pure. When you say something, it isn't pure. When this world says something, it isn't pure. But we can get purity from the word of God. That's why the Bible has to be the rule of authority. That's why it's not, well, the pastor says. It's the Bible says, and that's why we do what we do, because the word of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. And if you know anything about silver, you know that the purified, it has to be tried over and over and over again. And I'm telling you, every time this book is tested and tried, it proves itself over and over and over again to be pure. This is why people want to get rid of this book. They don't want to be tried by it because they're going to find out this is pure and that they are not. Now the Bible says in verse number seven, two truths in one verse, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now the two truths are this, from this generation, meaning those people that were living during that time, it'll be preserved. And from generation uh, forever, that means not only those people, But any generation and any time, God's going to preserve his word because I'm not trusting in a translator to preserve the word of God. I'm not trusting in what Paul said. I'm not trusting in what Timothy said. Neither should you because God said he's going to preserve them. 
our trust is that we believe that God can preserve something. He can preserve life. He can preserve a soul. What, you think he can't preserve his word? Come on. That's why the Bible has to be the rule. It has to be the authority. Go to 2 Peter chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter number 1. <clears throat> and the, the last verse in 2 Peter chapter 1. Well, let's look at verse 20, the second to the last verse, if you would. 2 Peter chapter number 1. And let's look at verse 20. Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation that means if somebody has something to say let's hear it we don't have a there, there's no little secret click or secret group that one or two people have an angle on god that nobody else has if you've got such an angle on god then let's hear what it is it shouldn't be a private thing it should all be out in public and that's the way it ought to be verse 21 for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man but holy men of God spake, and there isn't a period there. Matter of fact, the sentence continues, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And if you're moved by your feelings, if I am moved by an emotion, if this world is moved by a philosophy, who cares? The Bible says that came not all time by the will of man it doesn't it doesn't matter what man wills it doesn't matter what man thinks holy men of god spake yeah they did as they were moved by who the holy ghost this is why the bible must be the sole authority and that's so important the bible says in john 17 17 thy word is true sanctify them in truth we need god's word and so the Bible is the authority. I think we get the point. The other distinctive in the Baptist church should be the autonomy of that local church. It shouldn't be governed. We touched on this already a little bit. It shouldn't be governed by an outside entity, an outside convention, an outside fill in the blank. It should be able to function as an autonomous local church, meaning a denomination or some type of religious hierarchy shouldn't be governing their beliefs. Because then you're at the mercy of whatever the group came up with. And then that overarching group now has to pass down to all of these other, it's the upside down pyramid. And so why is the church doing what they're doing? Well, because if they don't, they'll lose money from the convention. You think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding. There's conventions that own a lot of land. And that land is has a church house where people come and gather. And if you don't do what they tell you to do or preach what they tell you to preach, can you see how very easily a preacher can be in a real pickle? What do you think? They're, well, some of these TV 
preachers are making killings off of God's people. But we won't go down that rabbit trail this morning. Look, most preachers that want to preach the word of God, they're doing it because they love God and love God's people. They don't have the financial means to do what a businessman in the world can do or what some of these modern outfits can do. So they can lose their house. They can lose the little bit of church family that they have. Church, a Baptist distinctive is that church should be able to function as a local assembly and be governed autonomously by the Bible, by the Bible. It's the autonomy of the local church. Uh, now, this is important to, to talk about because autonomy doesn't mean isolation. And an independent Baptist church doesn't or shouldn't mean isolation. And many groups have put themselves off as, well, we're independent Baptists. No, you're not, because you've isolated yourself from the world. And it's really just become you and a few and they can't go to a church because no church is good enough for them. And they've isolated themselves. And this is why you have all of this um, home church movement where it's living room Baptist. And it's not because there isn't a good church in their area. <laughs> Some people are in a real pinch. What do you do? Believe me, we've I've personally been in situations where it's like, Nobody believes the Bible anymore. Where do you go? And you're in a real pinch. And look, church has been started in homes, and that's fine. That's not unbiblical. The early church did that. But this movement today is we are so spiritual. We have such an angle on God that there isn't a group of believers out there that we can get along with. And that's a dangerous road to go down. Because as I look at the book of 1 Corinthians, I saw a church that was in a mess. Paul didn't leave. <laughs> there is a, an assembling of people that are going to not get along on certain things. And there are biblical reasons to leave a church. There are biblical ways to leave a church. And there are biblical ways to discipline and deal with problems of a church. And all of those things have to and must be dealt with. And look, it's not Pilgrim Baptist Church's problem if somebody decides to throw the Bible away and they come here. We didn't do anything wrong. Does that make sense? The Bible has to rule we should be governed autonomously, but we shouldn't live our lives in isolation. We need to be out there doing the work of the ministry and we need to be have enough patience and grace for people so that they would see that we're functioning as a New Testament church. We also go to first Peter, if you would turn back a book and we'll go to first Peter, chapter number two. Again, when you see Baptist on the sign, you should understand that they believe in the priesthood of all 
believers. Where do we get that? In First Peter chapter number two. And look what the Bible says in verse number five. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God as long as you go through the Baptist preacher. No, as long as you go through the Pope. No, as long as you go through the church leadership. No. We all have the same priesthood. And it's acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. That's how we are acceptable. So we all of us, it's the priesthood of all believers. We all have equal access to God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's so important to get because that means you can hold this book in your hand and you can study this book and you can glean truth from this book and you don't have to go through a man. We all have access to God the same way. Nobody is above anybody. We enter into God's presence through the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other mediator needed between God and man. First Timothy. Therefore, biblically, we should all be exercising our spiritual gifts given to us by God. And no one gift should be exalted higher than another gift. And when I come and teach and preach the word of God, I am exercising the gift that God has given me. When other men preach or teach the word of God, they are exercising the gift of teaching that God has given them. I know there needs to be a pastor there. The buck has to stop with somebody. But ultimately, my gift is no higher than your gift. And none of your gifts are any higher than anybody else's gifts. We're not going to exalt one member that has a certain gift above another member who doesn't have that gift. They have another gift. So this is why I don't have any gifts. Well, then either you haven't discovered them or you weren't saved. Because if you are saved, you've got a spiritual gift or gifts that God wants you to use within the body of Christ. Again, it's not my fault. That control freak Baptist says nobody can do anything but the pastor. And if they realize that that's out of line and they go to another church that functions in that biblical manner, it's not that church's fault that that person left. Everybody should be allowed to exercise their gifts. No one member should be exalted above another member. That's the priesthood of all believers. Bible's the authority. The autonomy of the local church, priesthood of all believers, the two ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. What should be the prerequisite for both of these? Amen. Amen. Salvation. That means we don't 
put somebody in water and declare them saved. They must receive the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that soul is saved. And then they obey the Lord. And then they are put in water by a man. So that the public sees and witnesses something that they, as a testimony of something that they couldn't see. What do you go around with a picture of your soul? Look, this is my soul. It just got saved. <laughs> you know, it. How do we show the world? How do we show the church members? Well, this is why the Lord set this up. Death, burial, and resurrection. And, and that's a testimony publicly to the world. But it's very important that we understand that because when you see Baptist in the sign, it should mean, oh, okay, well, that church knows Bible, Bible authority. It's the autonomy of local church. Um, and... They don't believe that water saves you. Now, if you see Church of Christ on the sign, oh boy, water, water everywhere. Even when it isn't there, it's there. Right? So these are ways of identifying if when church is over, people are hungry, and so they go out into town. And if all of the signs just said restaurant, or all of the signs just said, eat at Joe's. Well, what are we eating at Joe's? Are we eating Italian food? Are we eating Mexican food? Are we eating Chinese food? Are we eating Filipino food? Are we eating Indian food? What are we eating? It's the same idea. This is why a lot of churches have moved away from putting their denomination in the sign. They don't want people to know what they believe. If you read their doctrinal statement, it'll be very, very vague. They're not going to take a hard stance on much. And so if I invited you over to my house for cheese pizza for lunch, pretty much everybody would come. But if I said, why don't you come over to my house? We're going to have pizza with everything on it. Anchovies, onions, black olives, green olives, the all of it. Maybe... <laughs> maybe one or two would come and that's kind of the idea of how modern churches are run today we're just going to offer you a cheese pizza why because everybody likes a cheese pizza and as soon as you start throwing more toppings on there as soon as you start teaching throughout the whole bible oh boy that's going to rub somebody the wrong way that's going to offend somebody someone's going to leave and so uh, you got a lot of money you got to pay each month for these buildings the Bible is the final authority, not because we want people to leave, but because God set it up that way. And we should rejoice in. We should rejoice in the fact that we have a word, the word of God that we can hold in our hands. And throughout my Christian life, and I'm sure throughout your Christian life, one Sunday has been an amen. The next Sunday has been, oh, that hurt. And then it's amen and amen, and then it's, you know, you're in tears, and then it's your joy. And it, and that's the way it ought to be, because the word of God should convict us. It should grow us. The Lord's Supper um, should be a distinctive of a Baptist church. Um, I get the idea behind Closed communion and close communion. And if you haven't heard of that, well, thank God. 
But closed communion says, if you are a member of this church, only this local assembly, only then can you participate in the Lord's Supper. Closed communion would be, well, if somebody visited and they're from a Baptist church, then okay, they can they can participate. But everybody else is out. Or are they saved? Yeah, but we just kind of want to keep it exclusive. Now, I get what they're going for. They want to make sure that everybody's saved. And so how do you know? You don't. Like, I really know if you're saved and you really know if I'm saved and we really know that everybody comes in. I trust your testimony. Don't get me wrong. You trust my testimony. Don't get me wrong. But only God sees our heart. <laughs> what <do> you, <laughs> well, you know, where are you from? Well, I'm, I'm from uh, I'm from Third Baptist. How did it become Third Baptist? Well, there's a split here, a split here, a split here. And, and yes, all these questions to try to figure out if somebody's right enough in the Lord. At the end of the day, how do you know? Man comes up with all of these measuring sticks to try to figure out, well, is this person fit my click? It's like, why do we have that? Why do we have clicks? Why can't it be the body of Christ? There's a universal body of Christ. That means when you and I got saved, we were placed into a body. And that same body is in Africa, Ethiopia, China. And then God said, well, because everybody's so far apart, why don't you gather locally and assemble locally? What do you think? If somebody leaves this church, they leave the body of Christ? Of course not. They just leave this assembly. So it's important. With the Lord's Supper. I thought it's the Lord's Supper. Isn't that the whole idea? So we got to be careful when we see these other things creep up that might sound like they've got some truth to them. But upon further scrutiny of the Bible, there's a lot of holes in that game. And so we try to stay away the best that we know how we try to stay away from taking away or adding to the word of God. Read something in the word of God. What does that mean? I don't know. I'll read it again. This is what God's word says. It's not like we've got to figure everything out. We just have to read it, believe it, obey it. Oh, I don't understand that. We'll read it again. Does that make sense? None of us are going to get to the point where we know everything. So we've got. Bibles, the final authority, autonomy of local church, priesthood of old believers, two ordinances, baptism, Lord's Supper. Um, should identify, should identify what it means to be a Baptist. Go to Romans chapter number 14. The other distinctive should be. Baptists believe in individual soul liberty. That means you and I are free to choose what we believe. No one here and no one in any true Baptist church should be forced to assent to a belief. That's not how God works. You and I have individual soul liberty. We... I am, just like you are, against religious persecution. When the Roman Catholic Church wanted to gather more members, they forced you to assent to a belief. And if you did not assent to that belief, you died. 
and many lost their lives because of that. And if you don't have Fox's Book of Martyrs, get it. If you don't have Martyr's Mirror, it's this thick, get it and read it. And really the only difference between the two is one thought, you know, that the Martyr's Mirror side, the Anabaptist side, they just thought, well, if you defended yourself, you weren't a real martyr. I mean, they don't really say that. It's a little out of line, but they, they believed that they wouldn't defend themselves at all. In the Fox's Book of Martyrs, they tried. Bottom line is they both died for their faith because they were being required to assent to a belief. And they said, no. You think this yellow spined society with all these uh, bounce house churches are going to last a day of persecution if things tighten up? I'm telling you, we got a bunch of spiritual wimps in this society. And as soon as persecution tightens up, they hear a sermon on sin. They're scared to death. They got to go run and hide in their basement and have, you know, adult coloring books nowadays because they can't. They need a way to cope. <laughs> you imagine if they start really persecuting Christians. We don't believe in forcing someone to assent to a belief. Everybody has individual soul liberty. I believe we should be in Romans 14. Look at verse 12. You know why we believe that? Because the Bible says in verse 12 of Romans 14. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. I can't go before God and say, yeah, but the, the folks at Pilgrim were, God's going to say, I don't care what the folks at Pilgrim did. I'm talking to you. We all have account to God individually. So that's important to get a hold of. And that is one of the distinctives that a Baptist church should hold. Whatever other name they put in front of it. Further distincts out other beliefs. However, these should be, should be there on all of them. Now, am I trying to argue that they are? <laughs> I'm sure I'm not. <laughs> because you all know how it goes in this world. Uh, if you're saved, You have been placed into the body of Christ. Get First Corinthians chapter First uh, Corinthians chapter five. We talked about there's a, this universal church. We're all placed into the body of Christ, and then those that body then they don't leave the body. They just assemble together. Well, because we all can't get on a plane and and fly eight hours to get together, right? We that makes sense. We see both in the in, through the book of Acts where it's noted. And so these individual assemblies where God's people meet, the biblical requirement, and I know we attach things onto this because we want to, I'm not trying to get in trouble here. I'm just trying to say what happens. We try to add things to local church membership because we want to grant people voting rights. 
And so rather than have the body function as it ought, we try to add these additional things. And so you can give somebody a pretty strong uh, reason for joining if you can grant their family of nine voting rights because they can overrule a lot of stuff. But we're not going to get into all of that this morning, but if you are saved and you have a testimony of salvation and any of the men here that would like to use the pulpit to give their testimony of salvation, there is freedom and liberty to do that. And if you want to assemble here, meaning you show up, you can be a member of this local assembly. What else do I have to do? Well, show me in the Bible what else you have to do. Well, how about baptism? Yeah, you better be baptized. But if I am going to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are going to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're all going to be placed into the same body, and now that body now meets locally, why do we need to add something else to get you into a local church? Should you be baptized? You bet you should. And if you haven't been baptized, and if you trusted Christ as your Savior, I would urgently implore you to consider being immersed by water and doing it the scriptural way. And we just go back, rewind a little bit. The Anabaptists, the rebaptizers, they were put to the stake because they would not recant their baptism by immersion and their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they burned them at the stake. What do you think? When they finally got in the water, they were saved? No. But that was important to them. Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness. He was baptized, picturing it's the right thing to do. And we as Baptists, we're Bible-believing Baptists. We should be following the scriptural command to be baptized scripturally and biblically. Two more. Go to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. We'll get a little bit more high water here. 1 Timothy chapter number 3. If there's one thing that you'll say, well, I don't know if I agree with that. It'll be this. It'll be this one. There's the office of the bishop and the deacon. And I honestly believe when I read the Bible, these are earned and they must meet specific qualifications. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Now. Most, if not all, say that the bishop is the pastor. That's a traditional teaching, and I want you to look at something here, and then you you think about it, you pray about it. And it's okay if you disagree, but I want you to look at this. I don't think the bishop is the pastor. I think the bishop and deacon are earned offices where they must meet all of these qualifications. Now watch this, and I'll tell you why in a minute. A bishop then must be blameless. Well, that's good. The husband of one wife at a time. Oh, except it doesn't say that. It says the husband of one wife. Okay, so you want church leadership where the bishop, the deacon, that leadership has one wife. It's not talking about 
you know, Solomon having 700 and 300 and all that. It's talking about one wife. That means you don't come and say, well, I did have one wife. Then we were divorced. Now I have another wife. And it really is saying that it's just one wife at a time. Except the Bible doesn't say one wife at a time. It says one wife. Okay, fine. We don't have any problem with that. I hope vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. You don't want a, de a deacon or a bishop that's drunk all the time. Whether through intoxicating beverage or drunk with himself with pride. He should be apt to teach. He should be given to hospitality. You should be able to speak to him. He shouldn't be going on strike when there's work to be done and he's nowhere to be found. He shouldn't be a brawler getting fights verbally with people, physically with people. He shouldn't be coveting. Now watch verse number four. One that ruleth well his own house. Having his children in subjection with all gravity for a man or if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice. Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil. Now, why I say the bishop, I don't believe is the pastor. I believe it's a office of the church. And the deacon is an office of the church. Because if the bishop is the pastor, what do you do with the verse that says, one that ruleth well his own house? And the pastor that's going to start a work doesn't have any kids. I really think the reason people do why they say the bishop is the pastor or the deacon is really the pastor is because they just don't want somebody that's divorced. And I believe there's easier ways around that. There's better passages to go to to make sure that that isn't an issue what do you get uh was paul married he might not have met some qualifications but he was called to preach and he exercised his gift to preach and to teach you get some young fellow that's called to the mission field he's going to plant a church well you can't go why well because first timothy 3 says that you, 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 you well you got to be married you got to be the husband of one wife. So what are you going to do with all these 25, 30 year olds that want to do a work for the Lord that aren't married? You make the bishop, the pastor, you got a problem because you've got to apply all of the qualifications. You know why you need a bishop? You know why you need a deacon? Because nobody's above God. Who do you think is going to keep the pastor in line? Someone that's been married, someone that's had children, someone that isn't a novice. Because nobody's above the Bible. Now, what are you going to do? I've known missionaries and supported missionaries that are married. They don't have kids. What is he not called to preach? <laughs> he didn't lose his gift to teach or preach. But if you want to make one fit, you've got to make them all fit. Bishops and deacons meet all of these qualifications to fulfill that office of the church. 
And by the way, it should be evidenced by that local assembly that that man meets those qualifications. A vote doesn't determine it. The word of God determines whether or not that man meets those qualifications and it should then be evident to the church. And it says children. That means if they're adults doing stuff, they're not in his house. What do you think? You're responsible for your kids your whole life? You're responsible to raise them. And then when they go out on their own, they make their own decisions. And they have their own individual responsibility before God. Does that make sense? Um, all right, Ephesians 4, we'll do more of a deep dive into, into that because we see the same in deacons. But I just wanted you to see that the office is a very serious office and they are must meet qualifications. And if I didn't have children, I would not meet that qualification. If I wasn't married, I wouldn't have met that qualification. That doesn't mean I don't have the gift to preach or teach. And it wouldn't mean you don't either. But it would disqualify me if I didn't have that from that specific office that are must be met needs. Okay? So Ephesians 4, watch what it says in verse number 11. These are gifts given. And he gave some, uh, Ephesians 4, chapter 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists. And some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. And so, you know what my job is? To exercise my gift among our local assembly and not have my gift exalted higher than anybody else's gift. But I should be equipping you, edifying you so that you can do the work of the ministry and then we can therefore all play a part in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastoring and teaching are combined and they're not separated. Look at it once again a little more closely. Apostle semicolon, prophet semicolon, evangelist semicolon and now watch this. Pastors and teachers and then the semicolon comes. Some people can pastor, they can't teach. Some people can teach, they can't pastor. What do you mean? Some people are very caring and they have that nurturing, uh, that gentleness that the pastor needs to have. They can't teach. Others can teach real good, but just get me away from people. <laughs> if you can have both, that pastoring and teaching there is put. And the ministry is a people ministry. You've got to be able to get along with people that don't see everything the way you see it. You're the pastor. You've got to see things a certain way. <laughs> but you can't force it on people. You can't. You've got to be. You've got to have a pastoring, nurturing attitude. And I believe that that gift, if exercised correctly, can really help the local assembly, the local body. Last one and we're done. Separation of church and state. Matthew 22. We'll, we'll close out. Any attempt for the state to interfere with the church or by the church to interfere with the working of the state, I believe, is a violation of God's purpose for both entities. They're complete and separate entities. And a Baptist church should have that as a clear distinction. Matthew 22, verse number 21. 
They said unto him, Caesars, then saith unto, then saith he unto them, this is Jesus speaking, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's. That's over here. And unto God, the things that are God's. Caesar, you got government over here and you got the things of God over here. We are not supposed to try to fight government. There are some situations where we should. We'll get into that in another lesson. But there are very few. And when those things happen, we will stand. But until then, you stay out of my lane. And we'll stay out of your lane. God set it up as a separation of church and state. We don't want to get intermingled with all that stuff. We have a commission to fulfill. Tell people about Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.